If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be in a little bit. We'll get there eventually, promise. But we're starting a new series this week called Gospel Fluency. And we're going to spend the next several weeks learning how to speak the truths of Jesus into everyday life. Now this, this concept, this language of gospel fluency comes uh, from a, a book outlined with the same title, Gospel Fluency, by a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt, and a, he's a pastor and leader in, in kind of northwest U.S. He's out of Seattle. Uh, so if you're looking for something to read, head over to Amazon and, and grab your gospel fluency book. But it's a it's a it's an effort by by him and, and other leaders in this an organization called Saturate to to really give churches the language of being able to speak the gospel in the everyday stuff of life. And so I encourage you to, to check some of those things out. We'll be posting blogs and some videos and stuff on our social media through the next number of weeks as well. So let me introduce a little bit the concept, and then we'll dive into uh, the book of Ephesians and start to consider what it means to be fluent in the gospel. Let me start by saying this. Every one of us, myself included, is an unbeliever. Now, that may seem like a weird thing to say from the front of a church when we say, well, usually believers go to church, but every one of us is an unbeliever. And though that may seem like a harsh statement, what I mean is this. Each of us has areas in our lives of unbelief. Places where we, we maybe in our minds we believe, but, but functionally we don't believe God. There's spaces in our lives where we don't trust his word or we don't believe that what Jesus has done on the cross is enough to deal with our past, our present, or our futures. Maybe maybe in our heads we believe this, but functionally we don't believe that his work is sufficient. I know that that I struggle with this on a daily basis and even this morning as I shared a little bit with the the team that that this is something that that I struggle with often, struggling to to trust that that God is good and to listen to what He has to say about me and to to put my my value and my worth and my, my everything and what God has to say about me other than instead of what the other voices around me might say. Jeff Vanderstelt says this, Jesus came and He gave His life to make me, to make us a new creation. He died to forgive me of my sins and change my identity from sinner to saint, from failure to faithful, from bad to good, and even to righteous and holy. But sometimes I forget what he says about me. I forget what he has done for me. And sometimes it isn't just forgetfulness that I'm no longer sinner but saint, no longer failure but faithful, no longer bad but good. Sometimes it's just unbelief. I don't believe these things. Maybe you can identify with that idea or that concept, and I suspect being human, you can. How often do we go through our days or our weeks or or months even, and we let the commentary around us or the inner monologue in our heads speak false truths to us, and we believe them instead of believing what God has said about us? It's, it's a common problem. This isn't anything new. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 2, verse 20. He said, Then life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Nothing matters except what Jesus has done for me, Paul is saying. This church he was writing to had started, they had accepted this gospel. They would accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and King. But then after a while, they started to slip. And they started to believe that that maybe they needed something else, something in addition to Jesus, to make them right before God. 
But Paul calls them back in this letter and and in this verse to say, listen, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is all about Jesus. It's not about Jesus plus anything. And it's for all of life. It's for everything. We've just come out of, before Easter, a a 13 or so week series on the Sermon on the Mount where we talked about what does it look like to live the true life, the the blessed life, the flourishing life. What does human flourishing look like? And so this is kind of a a natural... practical application series to follow that up. But in that series, you said a life of true living, of, of true meaning, of true value is a life of faith in Jesus, a life believing in Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. And I got to tell you, I, I'm still learning this. I'm still learning to rest in that. It's really easy for me to listen to uh, the other voices either in my head or other people around me that say, no, Sean, that's, that's not true of you. But the thing is, God is intent on making everything about Him. Everything about Jesus. Because as we read to open our service, it's through Jesus that all things came into existence and came together. And it's, it's in Him that everything is held together. And so God wants to rescue us, wants to rescue you and me from our unbelief and sanctify us to become more like Jesus. Now that word sanctify or sanctification is a big church word, but basically what it means is is we are becoming more like Jesus through faith in Jesus. And maybe you, you can relate to this, but we become like what we believe in. Another way uh, Dr. James K.A. Smith has put it, he says, you know, we are what we love. Whatever, our, whatever captures our hearts directs where we go. And we want to we wanna talk about what we love. We want to we wanna share what we love. In playoff season, you don't have to train people to talk about their sports teams, do you? It just comes. The Oilers are trying to hire a GM and they're going to mess it up, I'm sure. And it doesn't take much prodding for me to tell you how much of a disaster the Oilers organization is, even though I love them. We become what we love. What, what, what we love just flows out of us. So for us to become more like Jesus, we have to believe more in Him in the everyday parts of our lives. And so sanctification then is this moving from areas of unbelief into areas of belief. Again, in the everyday stuff of our lives. And the really good news of this process is we are not on the journey alone. Just being here in this room right now tells us that we are together working with one another on this. And that said though, it's, it's hard work. It's hard work to, to expose areas of unbelief in your life and allow other people into your, into, close enough into your sphere of influence to, help, to let them help you work on it. It takes practice. It takes vulnerability. It takes a willingness to open up and allow others to, to, to encourage you and challenge you in your areas of unbelief. It's, it's hard for me to say, listen, I'm really struggling with this. I need help. I need you to pray for me for this. I need you to encourage me. I need you to, to ask me, how's it going? That takes, I don't know, that takes, my pride takes a hit, ultimately, I guess is what it is. But it takes work. It takes practice. So in order for us to become fluent in the gospel, we need to know the gospel. Is a good place to start. We need to know how to speak the truths of the gospel, the good news of God, into, into everyday situations. To say it another way, we need to know how to address the struggles of life and our everyday activities that we're a part of with the truths of Jesus. We need to know how what he accomplished through his life, death, burial, and resurrection result in, in a new life for us. And how that changes what's true of us as we put our faith in him. See, the gospel, the work of Jesus, has the power to affect everything in our lives. And it's the only hope for all of us. 
How Jesus' last words to his disciples and the charge for the church today is to make disciples who make disciples. Maybe you know Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came near and said to his disciples, charged his church, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so to be a disciple from this short passage, we can see, hopefully, that a disciple needs to be able to know the gospel, needs to believe the gospel, but also needs to be able to speak the gospel and then lead others to know, believe, and speak the gospel. And so that's the hope of this series, that wherever we are on this this journey towards Jesus, of maybe we're just thinking, I don't know if I even know the gospel, but I'm here, I want to hear about this Jesus. He's he's intriguing, this this idea of hope sounds nice. Tell me about that. If that's where our, I, I, I hope and trust that over this series we will we'll learn what that is and, and learn the gospel. And we'll journey towards believing it for everything. And if, if, if you say maybe, well, I know the words, I know the gospel, I think I believe it, but I need help believing and applying that to every part of my life, then I hope over the next number of weeks that we'll, we'll learn to do that as well. Same goes, maybe we, maybe we know and we believe it, but to get that journey from here to here, that six inches, boy, can a lot get messed up in that, that, that journey, can't it? So maybe we're going to learn how to better speak the gospel, speak the truths of Jesus in everyday life. And finally, I hope that that we learn to lead others as well to to know and believe and speak the gospel. So, what does it mean to be fluent in the gospel? Now, an example perhaps. Over the past handful of years, and sort of through my my ministry career, if you will, I've had the opportunity to to take and and to lead teams overseas on some different outreach trips. We've gone to to Zambia a couple times, and and more recently with our church in Calgary, we we drove down to Tijuana for a couple weeks of, of home building. And so as we prepare to, to make the drive to Tijuana, which is mostly beautiful, by the way, once you're into the States, it's a, it's a glorious drive. We try to, as a team, at least learn a little bit of Spanish, right? There's nothing like, nothing maybe worse than a bunch of gringos crossing the border and expecting everyone to speak English when nobody does. And so we try to grab at least some of the basics, you know, donde esta el baño? How, where's the bathroom? A dos tacos, por favor. Essential. Let me tell you, there's something about Mexican tacos that's just better than anything we can find here. Café con leche. Coffee with milk. That's, that's an, uh, super important if you're leading a team. Dios bendiga. Right? If you're going with a church group, we should be able to say, God bless you. And finally, maybe even more important than, other than God bless you, maybe more important is no habla español. I don't actually speak Spanish. So we, we tried to have a couple of these conversations, a couple of these conversational phrases that we could use as a team. And, and so both times we drove down, I had the opportunity to drive our white 15-passenger van across the border from San Diego into Tijuana. And I had my few phrases. I knew what they were going to ask. I, so I had a couple phrases. I thought I could respond to the, the border agent there. So we pulled up to the border, and she waved me into the parking spot where we're going to check and rolled down the window. And, and she walks up to the window, and this, this agent just starts talking me in lightning fast Spanish and I'm sure it took her about two seconds to realize this guy doesn't know a word what I'm saying and she was very gracious and she offered up you know 
habla espanol? Do you actually speak Spanish? And I said, oh, just a poquito, a poquito. And she laughed, fortunately, instead of saying, okay, let's go to secondary. <laughs> but she asked me to open the back doors up so she could see our luggage and, and brought someone over who could actually speak English. And, and they knew what we were there for, so it's, it's quite an easy border to get through in that case. I'm sure as well you've seen travelers who, who go to a nation that doesn't, English speakers, that go to somewhere where they don't speak English and think, if I just speak slower and louder, these people will understand what I'm saying. Maybe you've heard of them. them. The point here is that when I go to Mexico, I know a few phrases, enough to, to get myself some food and to find a bathroom and to pray for, sort of pray for someone, but I don't have enough command of the language for a conversation. And there is a massive difference being able to, between being able to order food and to have a conversation. And sometimes I think that the same idea is true when we, when we try to speak the gospel to other people, when we try to, try to share the gospel with people. Maybe we know some key phrases, we've memorized the, the, the key verses, maybe we know the, you know the five verses of the Romans road or whatever else. We've, we've learned to draw a picture or two and say, okay, here's the cliff where you are, here's the cliff where, where God is, there's a chasm in between, we draw a cross in between and dun 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 we've got the gospel story. And those are good things. It's good to have that, that bit of a command. But what can happen is that if we're sharing our faith just from these little, little phrases and, and, and things, our hearers may not actually be hearing the truth. They may not actually be hearing the truth of how Jesus actually applies to their life and their situations. The, 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 the phrases, the, the stuff we're giving them, again, which may be true and well and good, may not actually make sense in their context or culture or language. I mean, our answer to the question is like, why would someone have to die for me? How does blood forgive sins? What is sin? What does it matter what I've done? How does a man who lived and died 2,000 years ago help me? See, often we speak the gospel like I speak broken Spanish. But if we want to take the message of the gospel and we want to take it to the people around us, if we, if we do know and believe and we want to speak Jesus' truth as good news, we have to be able to take the words of Jesus, what he's done, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and be able to apply them to specific people and situations and contexts. And this takes work. And it takes practice. And without that work or practice, what we actually may be saying may not be good news to our hearers if we don't take the time to listen and understand where they're coming from. And then, out of that understanding, we can have the ability to speak the gospel into the real issues, the real brokenness, the real situations and longings of their souls in a way that they can hear it. And so we need to be gospel fluent. What does that look like? I'm glad you asked. If you've got a Bible, uh, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. And, and Paul spends a little bit of time on this, in this letter to the church, instructing them. Now, Ephesians 4 verse 1 starts with the word therefore. And we've learned whenever we see the word therefore, we ask the question, what's the therefore therefore? So let me give you a, a lightning fast refresher on what has happened before Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, In the first three chapters, Paul has been telling the church, reminding this church of the ultimate story, the story of God, and he's been placing them in it. And in doing so, he puts us in this ultimate story of God as well. 
This letter he writes to the church is one just saturated with encouragement and affirmation. He starts with praise to God for the abundant blessings that God has given us. He continues through thanksgiving and prayer. He highlights the narrative that, that, that God has brought reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. And he highlights Paul's own role in it. And then he wraps up chapter 3 with this beautiful prayer and doxology, one we often use around here. Pastor and teacher Mark Dever calls this letter a jewel that extraordinarily reflect, refracts the grace of God. And the first thing we discover in this letter is what God has done for us. He goes on to say, Dever does, that in the first three chapters, Paul doesn't actually instruct his readers to do anything. But rather, he just indicates what God has done, what God is like, and what we are. He lays out the framework for these Christians and us as well to help them and us understand everything from the world to themselves and to God. He points out that, Paul points out that God elects and he unites and he is gracious and he has given faith. And so in these first three chapters, all leading up to this therefore of Ephesians 4 verse 1, we're given this wonderful picture of unity based on the grace of God. Now that's what the gospel does. It unifies. It brings together. Whenever we emphasize religious works, we always wind up in division. But when we emphasize God's grace and we remove the focus on our own abilities and inclinations, unity follows. And God has made the Jews and the Gentiles, indeed all believers, one in Christ. And that's the fundamental point of this letter. Let me suggest if you're trying to find a way to get back into doing some Bible reading. Ephesians is a great place to do it. Start slow, a few verses at a time, and just spend time sort of soaking in the grace of God in these first three chapters. So then, Ephesians 4, Paul says, Therefore I, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now, he says, grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we reach the unity unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness." Then, at that point, we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. What we've got here in this section is that in light of the the grace and the gospel foundation that Paul laid out through the first three chapters, we come to chapter 4 and start moving into the practical application of, of what that grace and gospel foundation looks like. And it's unity. 
In those first six verses of, of chapter four that are there, they're powerful. They're loaded. You could spend a week on, on each one of them, a couple weeks on some of them even, because we're told we need to, we need to live worthy of the calling we've received. We're, in light of God's grace, we need to grow. We need to mature. We can't just stay stagnant in it. We need to be humble and gentle and patient. We need to bear with one another. We need to make every effort to maintain unity. There's this fantastic theological statement, this statement about who God is, that there's, there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father above all. And then Paul tells us that unity comes through God's gifts of grace and through the variously gifted people that make up his body called the church. We see that, right? Now grace was given to each one of us, he says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. See, God has gifted each one of us to play a role in this work. But if we look at, at this work, if we look at the goal in verses 11 through 16, uh, what are some of the things you see or targets are, are, are the goals that we're aiming for? Maybe specifically in verse, verses 12 and 13. What do you, what do you see there? What are we striving for? Unity? Maturity? Maturity? Verse 12, what do you see in verse 12 is the goal? God has gifted us for unity to equip the saints. After that, Building up the body. build up the body of Christ. Verse 13, reach unity in the faith. Following that, grow in maturity and stature measured by what? Christ's fullness. And we skip down to verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is ahead, like Christ. See, the goal is to, to grow and look more and more like Jesus. That's the, that's the sanctification piece we talked about earlier. That's maturity, to grow to look more like the one we're following. But verse 14 is almost thrown there as a bit of a warning, isn't it? He writes, Then will no longer be little children, immature, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. See, he's saying if we just grab hold to any new teaching that seems good at the time, or if we're, we're swayed purely by human cunning or logic or cleverness or deceit, then we actually fail to grow in Christ. But... To mature and to grow in every way, to be in every way into Him who is the head, we speak truth in love. Now, this phrase, speaking truth in love, let me suggest is one that, that there's a handful of phrases from the Bible that people use poorly and maybe even wrongly, and this might be one of them. Sometimes we use this as, as uh, giving us an excuse or permission to say things to people we know we probably shouldn't. Listen, I just want to speak the truth in love, but I don't really like your haircut at all. I just, I'm just speaking the truth in love, but you're a bit of a jerk. Right? Like, to give us permission to say things we know we probably shouldn't say. They're not unity building. They're not anything like that. Uh, kids are great at doing this, inadvertently, hopefully. I've got a four-year-old who didn't quite use this language. I think she loves me, so, and she was speaking her truth in this moment. But we're, you know, after, right after breakfast one day, I'm still kind of groggy waking up, so I've got my coffee and we're playing. And she looks at me and she says, Dad, I really don't like your coffee breath. I was like, thank you for breaking my heart, little girl. 
But rather, what Paul is talking about here, speaking the truth in love, is, is speaking the truth. The capital T truth. And that's the gospel. We build one another up by speaking the true things of Jesus to one another. Reminding ourselves that, that this is true because of who God is, what He's done for us in Jesus, who we are in light of what He's done for us, and what we're to do as a result. And in order to do this, we need fluency. We need to be fluent in the gospel. We need gospel fluency. Growing up, another bit of an example, uh, I grew up in the German bilingual program in Edmonton, and so from kindergarten to grade 11, I studied German. And one of the highlights was getting to go on an exchange trip in grade 9 to Germany for about three weeks. And so at this point in our lives, we've been together, many of us, for about 10 years. We've been studying in some amazingly gracious teachers and parent volunteers hopped on a, on a plane to Frankfurt with, I think it was 17, 16, 17, grade 9 kids. I would never volunteer for that myself. But as we, so we'd boarded this plane, our class, many of us had been together for about a decade. We had studied German, we'd written reports in German, we'd had spelling tests in German, we'd watched movies in German, and, and we'd been together and talked German to each other in class. But I distinctly remember the moment in Munich, a few days after we got there, where all of a sudden I realized, no, I'm actually fluent in German. Right? I woke up one morning and realized, I just spent the night dreaming in German, and that is weird. <laughs> And then when I'm thinking, like I'm thinking about where we're going to go for breakfast, and then I'm thinking in German and not English. So no longer am I processing the world in English and then translating it in German because we weren't allowed to speak English on this trip. But rather, everything was happening in German, and I was suddenly fluent. And that's the goal with this gospel fluency as well. That's what God wants for his people. That we'd be able to, to translate the world around us in an instant through the lens of the gospel. That we'd instantly be, be seeing the world around us and all that's happening around us uh, through the truths of God revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus. Maybe you've had seasons of your life where, where life has just happened like that. Hopefully one of them is happening right now. Maybe you've sat down for coffee with someone and you start to say, listen, I'm really wrestling with this. And the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, well, you know what God says. Here's what you're believing that's false. And here's what the truths of Jesus say. These people who are gospel fluent and, and you can see how they think differently. They, they see the world differently. They process the world. They feel differently. When, when gospel fluent people listen to others, they're thinking, how is this in line with the truths of the gospel? What about Jesus and his work is good news to this person I'm listening to right now? How can I bring the hope of the gospel to bear on this life or situation so that this person might experience salvation and Jesus will be glorified? It's the lens that they're processing the entire world around them through. When they see movies, they see themes of the gospel come through in the movies. And they notice themes that represent a false gospel. One of the pastors I follow on Twitter apparently went to see a, a big movie that was released recently. And without trying to spoil it, he got to the end of the movie and he tweeted, Huh, one person giving up his life to save everybody else. Where have I heard that theme before? As the gospel shines through in these things. Now, I would suggest that movie probably isn't a totally gospel thing, but the hints are there, right? And we can, with this fluency in our minds, we can watch other things and say, boy, what are they believing that's not right? You complete me. Boy, what, what, what are we asking for our salvation if we think that someone, some person, some relationship will complete us? Jeff Vanderstout helpfully says to us, 
for these people, the gospel has become and is becoming their native tongue because it was through the gospel that they were born again. It's by the gospel that they find themselves growing up into Christ, and they are convinced that the gospel will keep them to the end and perfect them into the true image of Christ. To use theological language, he says, the gospel is becoming their native tongue because it brought about their regeneration, their justification, and their adoption. And it's bringing about their sanctification. And it will bring their eventual glorification. The gospel is the beginning, the middle, and the end of their new life in Christ. And so, how do we get there? Well, I can tell you, for sure, 100%, we can't do it by just being together for about an hour or so on Sunday mornings. For me to be fluent in another language, it took training. Yes, we should gather, we should, we should be together, we should be trained in these things, but it took being immersed in a culture full-time before it happened, before fluency could happen. And so for us to be gospel-fluent, we need to immerse ourselves into gospel-speaking communities, and we need to practice. We need to practice speaking the truths of Jesus into the everyday stuff of life. We need to get together with people and focus on encouraging one another in our faith. Some ways we can do this, weekly small groups are great. Bible studies can be great places for this as well. But so can hiking groups and coffee meetings and climbing and biking and golfing if it ever melts and dries out or working out or whatever. Anytime we're together, we can work and practice this. So that fluency will come. And let me give you permission, if you need it, to start poorly. To, to stumble and stutter through these conversations. My daughter uh, is not here, so I can tell some stories. She's learning to ride a two-wheeler. Okay? She's four and a half. She started out on the run bike, you know, the one without pedals. And she got pretty good at that. And she can go almost straight. And it's pretty good. Then she graduated to a pedal bike that had this great big handle on the back so mom or dad could hold it up, right? And she could try and figure, and figure the pedaling along with the steering and the balancing. And now, slowly, she's doing it all by herself. And she's pretty proud of herself. But the whole process has included, and continues to include, let me say, swerving, crashing, wailing, tantrums, giving up, walking away, mom or dad carrying the bike home from time to time. But she's learning. Now, us learning to speak the gospel into the everyday stuff of life is going to look a lot like that some days. That journey from, I think I know the concepts to how do I speak this in a meaningful way, it may not go well the first time. It may not go well the first many times. But we need practice, and as we gather together to do this, remember that the same grace God has given to us, we can extend to one another as we learn and practice this. So, your homework as we come to a close. This week, get together with someone or a couple people and share your story. Share who God is to you, who God, what the journey that God has taken you on, and what God's doing in your life now. And as you tell your story and as you listen to the stories being shared with you, ask, pray first, and ask God to give you gospel ears, to listen for what, what other people believe has saved them and is saving them. Ask, listen for the gospel. See, because sometimes we tell our stories and we say, well, I grew up in the church and my parents took me to Sunday school and junior high, I kind of left that sort of thing and went my own way and then, then I realized that I was wrong and I worked really hard and now I'm back at the church. Who's the hero of that story, the way I just told it? Me. I worked really hard and now God's really happy with me. And so if I'm sitting across the table with someone and that's the story I tell in, in whatever area of my life, they can say, listen, Sean, who's the, who's the hero? 
Is it you or is it Jesus? Let me tell you, Jesus has done the work, right? By faith, through, by grace through faith you've been saved. Not by your works. Ephesians 2, right? So give each other gospel ears and, and speak. You know, why, who's the hero in your story? What's, what's Jesus doing? Not what are you doing? And in that time together, whether it's a, you know, on a run or going for coffee or a meal or a climb or a bike or whatever else, let me also encourage you not to miss the opportunity to speak some deeper things and some truths of Jesus into the conversations that are around you. And it's really easy for us to gather and just say, how's your day? Good. How's your day? Great. What's going on? Good stuff. I went for a walk. I'm rentering a bathroom and, and whatever else. But go a little bit deeper. And listen, I know that this can feel awkward and forced at the start. But here's the thing. If Jesus came and lived, this isn't meant to be a guilt trip, but if Jesus came and lived and died and buried and was rose, rose again on the third day to save us from our sin and bring us back into relationship with God in this life and the next, I need to be okay with feeling a little bit awkward with asking someone, hey, what's God doing in your life and what are you reading in your Bible? Because the thing is, we need to and we get to talk about Jesus whenever we come together. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the first three chapters of Ephesians that just remind us of your grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus, thank you that you came and and you lived and were the perfect example for us of how to relate rightly to God and others and, and creation. And thank you that even though you had no sin, you, you went to the cross and you took our, our sin, you took the ways that we have rebelled and, and our areas of unbelief where we've gone our way, where we haven't trusted God, and you took that on your shoulders and you paid the price for our sin. I thank you that the story didn't end there, but on the third day, God raised you again from the, the dead, Jesus conquering our three greatest enemies of Satan, sin, and death, so that now we can, as well, as we grow in Christ's likeness, as we mature, as we learn to become fluent in the things of the gospel, we can live with you. We can build your kingdom. We can point others to the hope that comes from, from you, Jesus, being our, our meaning, our value, our identity. And so I pray for the gospel conversations that we're going to have this week. Give us, an, give us courage and boldness to, to go deeper when we gather with people. To ask, what's God doing in your life? To ask, where are you wrestling with unbelief? Where, how can I pray for you? These questions that maybe should come so simply, but often uh, I, at least, forget or neglect to ask. So be with us. Give us, again, uh, your words, your hearts. And go with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.